Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be asking the question, why isn't RPM or remote patient monitoring exploding like telehealth video visits? And we also want to thank our sponsor, Carium. You can be sure to check them out at carium.com. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 15 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Have you ever done a remote patient monitoring visit, Colin? I have not. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think. I've done telehealth and um, I've certainly measured my own data and sent it to some doctor friends. <laughs> That's probably the closest I've come to it. But uh, luckily, I don't have any chronic conditions. So yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of the discussion today. Does it have to be a chronic condition or can we remote patient monitor for people that are healthy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's a, it's actually a great point, John. I think there, there is sort of this divide between the healthy folks, right? Uh, who, who might want to do patient monitoring for a totally different reason than people who, uh, who have a chronic condition or who may be recovering from uh, a surgery or recovering from a procedure. I think the use cases are completely different. Like we, we all heard about um, Mark Cuban, right? Talking about establishing your own baseline and, yep. and, you know, and being that, you know, tracking your own health and having that. So I think there's that. And I don't think, frankly, there's an appetite yet in healthcare to do something with that data. Like, I'm not really sure a doctor is going to look at that yet. No, they're not. And it's too hard for the individual to do. And, you know, we don't care enough about our health if we feel healthy, if we feel like, you know, if it's not inhinging on our day, we don't (laughs) care enough to really look at it, even though, you know, I'm two years away from being a diabetic, like I should care about that. But, you know, I think we've proven, you know, even if you're a smoker, right, you know that smoking is going to kill you and we keep doing it anyways. It's kind of like that, but even less uh, obtuse, right? It's less apparent that this is what I'm doing to myself. And so I, I guess that's why I think most of the remote patient monitoring has focused on the chronic conditions. Yeah, you're right. I think that, and that's where I think there is some growth, albeit not maybe as um, explosive <laughs> as the telehealth market uh, has exploded because of COVID and other things. But uh, definitely, I think in the in the uh, uh, chronic conditions, and again, like people who are recovering from certain procedures, I think RPM makes a lot of sense there. And there is sort of some pioneering organizations and pioneering doctors who are making use of it. Yeah. For sure. And when I think about where we are at in this continuum, yeah, RPM, remote patient monitoring, hasn't exploded the way that live video telehealth visits did. That's kind of like an exponential curve that interestingly enough, it's exponentially coming down to. We'll see, we'll see where the bottom of it is for, for uh, live video, you know, telehealth. But for remote patient monitoring, I think what did happen, it's we are seeing growth. But instead of going at, you know, at one degree, the plane of growth has, has increased. So it's still linear, if you will, or it's close to linear, but the angle is much higher. So I think, you know, that's where it is interesting because a lot of organizations in this COVID world have said, why aren't we doing more 
remote patient monitoring and why are, why do they need to come to the office? They don't. So, and patients are demanding it in some cases. Uh, I think of our friend Stacy Hurd on a, on a recent episode we did and she said, we're not going back. Forget that. I'm not letting that happen. And, and so I think that there's been that demand from patients and this exposure to say, yeah, maybe we should do this because I don't want to use my PPE on someone coming into the office, or I don't want my doctors to be exposed to this because they came into the office. Let's leave them at home where they're more comfortable and let's use these RPM technologies. Yeah. In some ways, it's a little bit unfair to compare RPM to telehealth, right? Like telehealth is applicable to anybody for almost any reason. You know, you don't have to have a chronic condition. It could be a fairly routine, uh, you know, check-in, uh, you could use it for mental health. There's just so many use cases, uh, more use cases for telehealth. Whereas for remote patient monitoring, I think there's a much smaller subsegment of patients and an even smaller subsegment of doctors who are willing to use it. Uh, so I think the combination of that restricts the market size. But I agree with you in that the, that those have that have been using it and that when the patients have been demanding it, we have seen growth. There has been sort of a steady uptick in RPM be- because of COVID, but also because I think people are realizing, oh, this actually might uh, benefit uh, both sides. It's a lot easier for me to monitor, just quickly see it. I don't have to, you know, ask the patient to track things in a spreadsheet, right? Which everyone fills out in the parking lot before they go to the appointment, right? As we know. <laughs> uh, so there, there's some benefits to this. And I think, uh, I think we will see a higher uptake, but I think it's still gonna be restricted into that subsegment of that patient population. Yeah. And I mean, that interesting part is that we were seeing the growth before COVID. So, you know, if it, if it wasn't started before, right, like, I'm not sure we would have seen the same growth, but that growth and that interest in being able to do this started well before COVID. And, you know, we were seeing this kind of linear growth, of, you know, for RPM services. And then COVID just said, change the angle, you know, let's grow it twice as fast as we would have, right? But it's not 10 times that's exponentially growing. So I think that's the difference. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting opportunities with RPM, especially even with patients that, you know, are healthy. And we see a lot of interesting models there with, you know, people are saying, oh, well, now do I have a pulse ox because of COVID, right? right? Or, you know, I even saw one model from Carrium, our sponsor, where they're working with a gym. I mean, it makes sense that a gym would offer this type of remote patient monitoring services, but that's a pretty unique approach that, uh, you know, I hadn't ever thought of before, but you know, it makes sense. If, you know, I go to the gym, I probably care about my health more than a lot of other people. And so I am a captive audience where that would make sense. No, totally. And and that's a great sort of success story of, of where, um, you know, remote patient monitoring can be used. I remember doing an interview um, back in September. I interviewed Dr. Um, uh, Michael McGillian and Dr. PJ Devereaux, who were part of the Population Health Research Institute here at McMaster University here in Ontario. And they had done a study of a thousand patients uh, using RPM after procedures that they had done. And um, I don't have the results of the study yet, but a couple of anecdotal things that they had shared was this one patient who had come in for like a urological procedure and they uh, sent him home and discharged him from the hospital. Uh, and of course there's an incentive in Canada, like everywhere else to get people out of the hospital as fast as you can. Yep. Uh, but they hooked him up with a company called cloud DX to do the remote patient monitoring um, 
uh, after after the discharge. And a couple of days later, uh, or a day later, the patient, you know, he was complaining about pain and uh, not feeling well. And and uh, the doc, in this case, Dr. Mer- Dr. Uh, Devereaux, was able to, you know, look at the the tele- telemetry from um, the remote patient wandering tool from Cloud DX and was actually able to diagnose that actually there was probably a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so was able to ask him to go to a local lab, make uh, send the prescription to a local pharmacy. Uh, and so the patient didn't even have to come in, right? They, they you know, could just go to the lab, get it tested to confirm and then go to the pharmacy. Uh, and so in this one use case, it saved the patient from driving an hour to the, to the ER of the hospital where he had the procedure done. Um, and that, that's a huge savings. You know, both sides, they, it was a win, right? The doctor felt good. They was able to help this patient. The patient obviously felt really great because he didn't have to go in to the ER. So that to me is a really great example of how RPM can be really successful. Yeah, I love that example. And I, I think anytime someone's gone through a procedure or been admitted to the hospital or any of those type of big events, the RPM makes a lot of sense. Another area that really is fascinating for me is actually in the prenatal and of course, baby, you know, uh, care pieces, uh, you know, that had been happening for a while. Right? I mean, we were doing it manually through different websites sure. and things, but you know, there's a lot of organizations. I think baby scripts is the most popular right now that really provides that remote patient monitoring of both mom and baby. Uh, and I think it's really interesting how those have evolved and it makes sense why, because when you're pregnant or your spouse is pregnant in my case, you're hyper aware of what's happening and you care a lot. (laughs) And and so, you know, you're willing to do all sorts of things to ensure the health of your baby and the sure the health of mom. So, you know, I think that was, that's another great example where RPM makes sense. And maybe that's a model we should understand is that for RPM to be really successful, you need people who actually care about the outcome. And so whether that's they naturally care about it because it's the birth of their child or whether it's manufactured care, i.e. the company has to manufacture and incentivize or promote the fact of why you should care as a patient so that then you're willing to do it. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, a good lesson learned when you look at who's successful in RPM. Yeah, it's like, actually, that's a really interesting use case you're bringing up, John. You can imagine, for example, if you're going in for, uh, you know, a major surgery and there's all those things you have to do to get yourself ready for surgery or things that, you you know, the doc is recommending you do, right? Don't eat this, do this, uh, you know, get lots of rest. You can, you can see that if you have remote patient monitoring, maybe that will add an, another layer of incentive for you to do it, right? Or, or conversely, if someone isn't doing these things and it is mandatory, you could stop the surgery, right? You can say, hey, we got a delay because you, you, know, you haven't been able to do this. Uh, and so therefore, you're not going to have a great outcome, right? And uh, you know, rather not go ahead with it. You know, th- there's that possibility. We haven't really thought about using remote patient monitoring sort of pre-procedure, Right. Yeah. Uh, we've, you know, I've certainly only ever thought about using a post. So that's a really good example and really kind of interesting to wrap your head around. Yeah. And in a recent interview with LifeLink, uh, the CEO, Greg Johnson, talked about that and using healthcare chatbots to be able to do that remote patient monitoring. And I love the healthcare chatbot. That's the perfect way 
to monitor the patient, right? I mean, before the best we could have is a text message and we all know where you reply with a Y or an N. <laughs> like it was kind of, you know, that that's not bad, right? We know how to text, we can write Y, but it's not as cool as the, the chat bot chat, where you sure. literally click yes. Right. Or, you know, I've completed it. Or are you fasting? Yes, I am fasting. You know, it didn't hijack my my surgery and, and be able to reschedule. So there are some really cool things with healthcare chatbots and in, in remote patient monitoring as well. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today's episode is sponsored by Carium. Carium's telehealth and remote patient monitoring platform enables providers to deliver relationship-based digital care across multiple clinical specialties. They partner with health systems and practices on their glide path to digital transformation, starting with one use case at a time and expanding across the entire enterprise. Learn more at carium.com. So John, what companies stand out for you in the RPM space? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously a shout out to Carium for sponsoring <laughs> Healthcare IT today. But they really, they are, they have been really creative in how they do it and how they, they understand the need to combine the outside services with the inside ones. I, you know, I think that was great. The idea that, you know, it's one use case at a time. And that, that's kind of where we're at, right? Is, is what, you know, we're doing it one use case at a time. And if I look at the companies and we just published our list of uh, RPM companies at healthcareittoday.com so people can check that out. What was interesting about that list was how many <laughs> companies are doing it and how they're all over the place. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about telehealth versus RPM, mm -hmm. but there's RPM that includes telehealth. In fact, almost all of the RPM platforms include telehealth as one modality of communication. And so it, it's tough. I don't think there's some clear consensus. There's device ones, there's specialty specific ones. There's, you know, this just a plethora of options that I think makes it hard for a healthcare organization to do. Um, I am interested in one area that's pretty fascinating and, and that's like Lenovo and Dell Technologies. They both have gotten into this space around remote patient monitoring and virtual care. And it makes sense because when you look at them, what do they do really well? They deliver a consumer device to the consumer that can be used quickly and easily. Like they're the best at that. <laughs> and what do you need to do for remote patient monitoring? often you need to deliver them a consumer device to be able to monitor their blood pressure, to monitor their pulse ox, whatever it might be. And so it makes sense for them to be in the space. So I'm definitely watching to see what they do. Plus then they can work with a wide variety of companies, which at least for now seems like the reality that you're, you might have to work with multiple devices. You may have to integrate with a bunch of different systems and someone like a Dell technologies or Lenovo has some of those expertises and can deliver that expertise with you. That's a good point. You know, I'm not really sure where the market's going. Is it going to be a fully integrated stack solution where you have the device plus the software, plus the monitoring uh, and alerting and the telehealth platform all baked into one? Or is it going to be the sort of best of breed? I want a device from Philips. I want a device from this person. And then I want to integrate it into a platform that then, you know, so you can see both, appro both approaches are viable today. 
but the one that stands out, the company that stands out for me is, is the, I mentioned them at the already is cloud DX. They're located here in Canada. So there's the Canadian connection. Oh, so you're biased. Okay. I'm a little bit biased. No, but I've actually seen, <laughs> I've actually seen their product and, and they have, they've gone down the road of, they provide the hardware as well, as well as mm-hmm. the software platform. So they have a pulse socks, they have um, a neck cuff that kind of measures a, a lot of vitals and heart rates and those kinds of things. It's got a, I think it's a, 12 point, uh, EK, you know, EKG, it can do a lot of things. And, uh, you know, they've deployed it in very specific use cases today with certain pioneering organizations, and they're seeing some really good success. Um, but as, as you've pointed out, it's not sort of general use. And there's this sort of, co- there's a cost challenge, right? Yeah. Of like, who's paying for this device? Do they rent it? You know, is it only charged when it's out of the door kind of thing? Like, uh, it, you know, does CloudDX own it? There's a lot of different sort of models uh, going around. And I think that's going to be the big challenge is like, who's paying for this, right? Do the payers get involved, uh, you know, in, in doing this RPM because it'll help them reduce costs because you're keeping people out of the hospitals, right? Which are expensive forms of care. So as per usual, the financial side is really the side that no one's quite got the model yet for this. And I think until that gets solved, we're not going to see that explosive growth. Yeah, it is, you know, the reimbursement will determine a lot of the future of RPM and not just reimbursement, but the shift to value-based care because remote patient monitoring really is at its core value-based care. It doesn't necessarily drive a bunch more office visits. Although ironically, you're in Canada. I think you should have solved that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you already did that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, still haven't. challenges there. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, you know, the, your point about devices though is fascinating because the question is who should buy the device? Right. Is it the RPM vendor? Is it the healthcare org? Is it the patient? You know, I, I go and buy my own thermometer So I know what my temperature is. Is that the model that I need to go buy my blood pressure cuff or does it need to come from the healthcare organization in order for it to tie in? And then if I'm in remote patient monitoring platform, do I support all devices or do I only support some? I mean, it gets complex really quickly. And I think that's why we see the biggest success has been in very tight areas around a very specific, you know, uh, cardiology problem or whatever it might be, as opposed to, okay, here's a platform we can solve any of your health needs, give give us your data and we'll pump it out for you. Like we're not there yet, unfortunately. Yeah. There's a group of companies that uh, I've seen or heard about where, you know, they play in the orthopedic space, right? And so they, they, they make braces and, and other devices uh, baked into um, the supportive equipment where they can monitor what, to see whether or not there's enough movement happening, right? Are you doing the exercises? Are you doing the, the walking? And in some cases, actually monitor and compare you to an avatar to see if, if actually you're doing your exercise correctly, right? Are you turning the right way? Are you stretching it the right way? Um, there, in those cases, the um, the device is was purchased by the hospital or the organization, mm. and it's essentially loaned to the patient. Uh, and I, I'm assuming it's because they were in a value based model, right? Because they don't want this patient to be readmitted, so there's definitely a financial incentive there. Um, and uh, to me, that makes the most sense for these one off style kind of RPM. Like I'm not going to need this ongoing, unlike a pulse ox, unlike a a, a, gluco- a glucometer and those kinds of things. Sure. Um, so for that, I think it does make sense for an organization, either payer or provider to, to give these to the patient in order to 
keep them healthy, right? Keep them out of the expensive care. Yeah, that's interesting. Although we all have a pair of crutches sitting in the corner somewhere true too. that we had that's to buy as too. well. So, I mean, we, are we going to have a bunch of wearable devices that we had to buy or that we are given by the organization? But you're right. I mean, at CES um, in past years, and, you know, sad that we should be at CES right now, but <laughs> it virtually hasn't been quite the same. But uh, I saw some really cool technology there where there were these pads where it would train the person on balance and it would help help them learn. It would You'd essentially would be playing a game and you're standing on a pad holding some flippers. It's kind of almost virtual reality, but kind of a video game thing. Right. It was cool. I mean, it was actually a lot of fun to play the game. So they did a good job there and it was training you on balance. But at the same time, it was measuring how efficient you were. So similar to your ortho example, it's measuring how you're doing and then it can report that data back to the doctor. So there's some really cool things happening here. I think it's just still early because the reimbursement models haven't quite gotten there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Again, again, it rears its head, right? Like um, follow the money. <laughs> follow, the, follow the money, right? But the good news is there's some people willing to take the plunge, right? Like in these, in these examples we talked about, the hospitals seem to have gotten on board. These devices um, are, are fairly inexpensive. Like, you know, they're more than crutches, but they're not, you know, they're not full blown, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, right? So they kind of, they're in that mushy middle, as I call it. They're more expensive than a Fitbit, <laughs> right? Uh, but they're not as expensive they're not as expensive as, as um, you know, some other assistive equipment like wheelchairs and things, right? So, um, so I think, you know, as costs come down, I think we'll see more and more um, of the thermometer style devices where it's just like, oh yeah, for 50 bucks, I'll just buy it. There's no argument. And then for the ones with these braces and things that track your movements and everything, those maybe have to be paid for by another entity or subsidized, right? And yeah. I think we'll get there. I think they'll get there pretty quick because the the studies are starting to come out now around the efficacy and the impact this can have on outcomes. And uh, it won't take long until uh, you know somebody goes, "Hey, this is going to be great for value based care." Yeah, it it makes sense. Although I, I still think about the uh, something we learned in COVID, and I mean we knew it before too, is the disparity as well. Uh, you know, you can afford a $50 thermometer, not blink an eye, you and I can, right? But, you know, a lot of people can't. Uh, and I, I was actually in a, in a virtual health uh, discussion with a bunch of CIOs this week. And one of them said, hey, if you want to do virtual health, start with connectivity. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who don't have connectivity either, right? I mean, we kind of take that for granted. So I think there are some challenges there. Um, you know, I know the FTC just came out with another 250 million, 249 million, uh, trying to help with the telehealth infrastructure, especially rural areas and things like that. But there still is a disparity that, you know, hey, it's great that you give me this device, but I don't have internet at home, so you're not getting any of the data. That's still a problem for many of these organizations as well. Um, so I think that has to be built in the structure of anything a healthcare organization does. And that's the big question I have around all of this is how are healthcare organizations going to approach it? Like what does an enterprise RPM look like? Does it need to be integrated with their live video telehealth or not? Is it separate? Are they going to be okay with 20 programs? I mean, the Zelf is kind of one area approach where, okay, you're going to have, you know, a bunch of different programs, remote patient monitoring programs through Zelf, but at least it's one platform, kind of one experience, but will that go far enough? And is that the model or is there going to be one platform to kind of, 
rule them all that's going to be the epic concerner of <laughs> remote patient monitoring yeah that's going to that's that's going to be very interesting i i would say there probably isn't going to be that one platform to rule them all only because i think you're going to see a proliferation of device makers who are just interested in making devices uh, and who could care less what platform you try to connect it to, right? So we've seen that proliferation. You go to CES, you see it. Exactly, they're out there already, right? So uh, I, what I what I find more challenging is who's monitoring all these things, right? Yeah. Like like you're now taking exponentially more patients to have to monitor because you know in a hospital you're limited to the number of beds you have, right? The number of rooms you have. Uh, but when now you're talking about remote patient monitoring, you could literally, you know, two, three, five X, the number of patients you're trying to monitor. So unless you've spent uh, and invested like uh, New York Presbyterian has on a command center where there's like a NORAD, right? Where they have all the different, uh, kind of, you know, all the different telemetry and diagnostics and vital signs and of every patient in their hospitals. And then you presumably could add RPM to that fairly easily, but they've invested in this because they knew this was coming. I don't see, yeah, I haven't heard that many stories where hospitals and healthcare organizations have invested in building these command centers yet. So, you know, where is that going to happen, right? Because RPM, it may be okay for some uh, conditions to check it in, check in on it sort of like once a week, once a month, right? Or when they come back in the next time, just download the data. But I would say a lot of times you need that real time or near real time. So how the heck are you going to do that? Yeah. Well, it's worth asking the question, are those command centers going to be outdated? Because we know where this is headed. Humans are not going to evaluate right. all that data. It's going to be bots. It's going to be AI. It's going to be machine learning that goes in and, and maybe escalates it to a human and says, right. there's this abnormality, check it out. And then the human looks at it and says, oh yeah, let me call them. And so you know, the answer to that is it has to be AI. It's not going to be humans, but it's going to be AI that empowers humans to do very targeted stuff. So I guess you do need to still need the command center for the AI to escalate it to, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that has to be the solution. Now are we there yet? (laughs) You know, that's a, that's a good one. And, and, and to just clarify, that is actually how New York Presbyterian built their command center. Like it's, it's on an exception basis. They get alerted. Right. Or if someone calls in and says, Hey, how's this patient doing? Can you see they can go into it, but, but you're right. I mean, it's just, you're going to need that that machine power to monitor this many patients. And and that's a big investment either for the hospital itself to invest in this AI or for the companies to bake this in to all their RPM tools, right? Like to to know what the thresholds are. And and as you and I have seen many times, it's like, is that threshold universally the same or is it like have to accept it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Like is my arresting heart rate have to be like the, how how does the device adjust to my arresting heart rate versus someone else's right. Like there's how personalized does it have to get? Because otherwise you could get a lot of false positives, right. Where it's just like, maybe I look like I'm having low blood sugar, but maybe that's my normal. Right. Or, or maybe I'm having, you know, looks like I'm just, my heart rate's going through the roof, but it's not right. That's just, so it's just, it's very interesting. And I think that's going to be one of the key barriers to an enterprise approach to RPM. Yeah. Well, and we haven't even talked about liability and uh, no one wants to take that one on, even though I think we all fundamentally understand that more data and more access to data is going to help more people, even if some people maybe get missed in the process. And I think our laws don't support that yet and they should. <laughs> Hey, listen, we're at the end of another episode of Healthcare IT Today. Thank you to all of you who tuned in. And thank you to our sponsor, Carium. You can catch more information about them at carium.com. 
And you can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hong, along with my friend, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.